The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks so much for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. My name is Carrie Charles, and I will be your host. Very excited to bring to you this amazing guest. She is a friend of mine. She's a leader in our industry, and her name is Leticia Latino Van Splunteren. Now, Leticia has over 25 years experience in the telecom industry, and she's also the CEO of Neptuno USA, which we're going to hear about in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about her awards and her recognitions. Leticia is a recipient of the Women in IoT Award by Connected Magazine, Revolutionary CEOs by Ask Pioneer, and one of the 30 most influential leaders in tech by Insight Success. Now, she chaired for two years the Job Skills and Training Working Group of the FCC Broadband Advisory Development Committee and currently serves as a full member of the FCC Equity and Diversity Innovation and Access Working Group. She was also directly appointed by the FCC to the Telecommunications Interagency Working Group, which was charged with presenting to Congress with a recommendations report on the state of the U.S. telecom workforce. Now, in addition to all of this, Leticia is an Amazon best-selling author. She's an international speaker. She's an amazing mentor to young women and a big advocate of nurturing human connections through her back to basics podcast. Leticia, oh my gosh, it's so awesome to have you on the show. I've been waiting for this for so long. Thank you, Carrie. Well, if you could see me, I'm blushing. I'm like, who's that person that she's reading about? That cannot be me. But thank you for having me. So many people respect you in our industry and you've done so much for us. So I want to know about your journey and how you got to this role that you're in today. Well, that's a great question. I can tell you one thing. I got to where I am without planning too much, taking one day at a time and really following my intuition from a very young age. So I was born into telecom literally because my father had a telecommunications company, a tower manufacturer. He immigrated from Italy to Venezuela. So from very early on, I was playing around with construction materials over at a site. But one thing that I had very clear is like, I do not want to go work for the family business. Like from very early on, I'm like, I want to make my own path and I want to be known for my own merit. So when I started my career, I really rejected the idea to join telecommunications So after I did my master's, I went to work for Merrill Lynch and started into a very different career path. But then it didn't take me long to recognize that this is not for me. I'm not liking this too much. So I was attuned with what made me tick, as I say, in my podcast at that time. And then history has it that Nortel Networks offered me a job in telecommunications, which (laughs) I had resisted for so long. And that's really how I started my telecom career. And it has been amazing. I mean, it's an amazing industry to be in. So tell us the story about Neptuno USA, everything, who you serve and what you do and the markets. 
Well, yes, it's an interesting angle because my father, as I say, he founded a company and I was born and raised in Venezuela, although both my parents are Italian. And it's a great country. I love my country dearly. But unfortunately, we encounter serious political issues back in 98. And so we have really lived, as I say, 22 years of COVID-like conditions when people complain about having to manage a company in very bad conditions. Anybody that has a company in Venezuela has had to deal with really, really difficult situations to the point where we almost lost everything in our factory, 50 years of work. And so when I decided to leave Nortel and I lived through the demise of going from 120,000 people, company, a leader in the industry to going belly up. And so that whole process of corporate America really taught me a lot in terms of how you cannot put all your eggs into what a company that you work for is. You have to be yourself. You have to brand yourself. When I talk with people and they say, well, we, and they're talking we as a company, that's a good thing that you feel part of the group. But a lot of people attach their own value to the company rather than to themselves. So back in 2002, I told my dad, listen, we have to have a plan B because our international customers were concerned that we were a Venezuelan-based company. And that's how we decided to open Neptuno USA in Florida, mostly as a support to the region. We are very strong. We have supplied over 10,000 towers that we have engineered, manufactured, and installed in South America, mostly at the time. And then when we started in 2002, the idea was always to support Latin America from Miami. But then as we kept going and as I got more involved in the U.S., we decided, okay, maybe we can help the United States too. And we started learning more about the market. And so it really wasn't until 2015 that we said, okay, let's be a player. Even if we don't manufacture towers here in the United States, it's a harder product to sell. I developed a whole new array of products in terms of virtual twins. We are credited with being one of the first companies that created the LiDAR-based point clouds, so to speak, of towers. Now they are in mainstream after many, many years, but we've been at it for a long time and using artificial intelligence to create tower mapping, antenna mounts, and really leveraging the engineering we have to bring a better products, asset tracking software, all the operational aspects of the business. So you've been in the industry a long time, over 25 years. What challenges do you see that companies are facing right now? What are the biggest challenges? Well, to me in telecommunications, what I've always observed is that we are a very technologically advanced industry on the front end. So we sell everybody 5G, 6G, and we want to go so fast. And the operational aspect of things, we are extremely old-fashioned, but extremely. There's a huge resistance to change on the operations of things. And this is what expands and augments even the workforce issue, because then we have our workers doing a lot of stuff manually. And when you offer, like we have an asset tracking software that we've been promoting for a long time, and you offer this and you show potential customers how they're going to save money. And the answer is, well, the, my guys are never going to use this. So I've always said that our biggest competitor is not another product, it's inaction. It's when you have managers that don't want to disrupt, but the industry is being disrupted by technology. So I see that as a huge problem because it's creating uh, systemic problems that are not easily solvable unless you have leaders that are willing to embrace change at, in all fronts. 
So we're facing a workforce crisis with not having enough people. And what you just mentioned with the leaders that are resistant to that technological change. I mean, all of that is a recipe for a big crisis that we're facing if we're not already feeling it today. So you sit on many committees and you've been directly involved in solutioning some of these things. So what do you see as a strategy or an idea that could really help us to create a stronger workforce as we move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think on all the committees that I've been part of, which is, by the way, a shootout, get involved in committees. People think it's a waste of time. It's really an opportunity to have your thought leadership and experience in filter into what decisions are being made at a higher level. So there's been a big push in created pathways. I think we can all agree that the workforce, the telecom workforce doesn't have a clear path into if I join the workforce, what can I be? What can I grow to? It's not a one-side thing. So you have associations like WIA, like NATE, like industry associations really working into putting a curricula together and apprenticeship tracks that really provide whomever joins us with a clear path into this is what you can evolve to and you don't get stuck. Some people get afraid like, well, technology changes. Am I going to have a job in five years? Guess what? Technology has been changing. My dad joined this industry 50 years ago and he's evolved with it. So unless you create pathways for people to evolve in an organized way, it's going to be very challenged. But the good news is everybody has identified the big issue. And there's a lot of tracks right now that didn't exist a few years ago that are very clear pathways into becoming a telecommunication professional. I have a question about the competitive nature of we're dealing with when kids come out of high school or college and they're looking at telecom as an option versus other industries. And right now there's some other areas that pay more, right? And you don't have to be outside in the freezing cold or climbing a tower. I mean, what are the challenges that we're facing around how much we can pay to these people to get more talent in the industry? Because the training piece, obviously, there's a lot of brainstorming. I can just feel and hear everyone's brainstorming. How can we get more training and more people into this industry? But then once they're here, we're now offering them the pay. And I know that's very challenging for some companies to be able to keep up and pay enough to attract and retain good talent. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's because we have been seeing these jobs as you get the people in that job and you leave them there. There's no plan. And so people, of course, then start jumping ships for one extra dollar from one company to another company. And that's why apprenticeship has been proven to create loyalty because whomever gets on that track, they say, okay, I can see this person transitioning into a leadership role. You don't leave them as tower technicians or a fiber technicians. You really have to transition them. And we're going to have a better companies and better industry if we acknowledge that if you know what's happening in the field, you are really going to be a better operation altogether. Because what I see right now is a complete disconnect from office work and field work. And you have people in the office making demands. This is taking too long because they never been at a construction site or a site. And then when they go there and they see the trucks of equipment, our tower technicians, our technicians in general have to offload and climb the tower. And, and you really put it in perspective of what needs to happen. People are just enough. So I think the more you come with that transition is you come into, and this is a stepping stone into getting into a leadership role 
an office role. And that happens for some companies, but most are not tackling it like that. They want to have that resource forever in that position. It, it just doesn't, cannot work like that. So I want to talk a bit about your company culture, right? Because as you said, you have the operations side and the office, and then you also have the people in the field. And how do you design a successful company's culture with all of those different people doing different things? Yeah, well, I'm exactly living that right now because again, we go internationally. We have a company with many crews and then a lot of them, they are in third generation. So the grandparents have started with my dad. So the culture is very strong where the owner of the company was alongside them leaving. You cannot impose culture. You cannot just write a mission statement that sounds beautifully, but then your day to day, you leave something completely different. So that's how you establish it. So now I am on that challenge because I have my first cruise in the U.S. And so I think three weeks ago, I was on site with them. We went to lunch and they were saying they work for other companies. They say no CEO has ever sat with us over lunch. And I think that's how you get real with the challenges is when you sit with them, you make them comfortable. You're one of the team and you really start getting the feedback from the field. And in my view, that creates culture. It's really setting the example because when words are different from actions, it's very detrimental to the company culture because then nobody believes it when they hear it. And I see so many companies that brag about being one thing and people behind the back say, oh, please, like everybody right. knows. Everybody's like having a cheater husband or wife and they portray to be perfect and everybody knows what's going around. Right. So I think that's something very important to really be consistent with whatever culture you want to set in. So Leticia, I mean, it's clear that you lead by example and you are such a passionate leader. And I've heard so much about your leadership style. Tell me in your own words, what makes an extraordinary leader? I really believe that somebody that wants to make the world a better place. And I think it sounds cheesy, but using our companies and our business for the greater good is an opportunity that leaders have. And when you are concerned about profit and just how do I advance my own self into whatever my goals are, I think that even if you have the title and the CEO and people say you're a leader, I think you're falling short. So I think we have to dream big as leaders, be passionate, be empathetic, and put yourself in other people's shoes and really be consistent into what you have. But I do believe that you have to be passionate and have your purpose very clear to be able to showcase leadership. So Leticia, you are a role model for women, not just in our industry, but everywhere. And I know that there's so much conversation around bringing more women into the telecom industry and how do we do it, right? How do we bring women in? How do we keep women, advance women? What are your thoughts here? I believe that we have to start with breaking the gender bias. To me, it's all about gender bias. You go into some countries, Latin America, and you always hear the parents saying to the boy, oh, you're going to be the engineer and the girl is going to be the nurse. So that to me is gender bias. Right there, you're putting a label into that little girl's mind that she cannot be the engineer of the family. And so I think we definitely have to break that and present everybody. I always say I'm not a feminist. I'm an equalitarian. I don't like when people, because they see me pushing the women's causes and I say, I push the equality. Everybody should have equal opportunity. 
And so I think that that's how we have to present it to the young people, because when we do that, then the girls' minds open up and say, oh, this is an opportunity for me. And this is why we are living in such exciting times. I mean, the chairwoman of the FCC for the first time in over 80 years is a woman. So that is already something that I know younger girls can look up to and say, okay, this can be me. Now we can put a face to the title. And so we really have to be active in mentoring and encouraging young girls. I'm a big proponent of doing career days at war at school. Like I always go and talk at my kids' school about telecom and people, what? It's not a lawyer. It's not a, I mean, the typical jobs that are coming here. And now they're presenting me with a tower and the vertical freedom movie. That is what I showed last time. <laughs> and it's amazing to see the reaction in everybody's face, boys and girls. We need to be doing more of that. I truly believe that our solution starts when our children are young and in middle school and high school. So what challenges have you faced with as a woman entrepreneur and also in this industry? Any challenges that you faced over your career and how have you overcome them? Well, obviously in 25 years, I faced many. I always joke around in the good sense of the world that I'm going to write a book called Things I've Done for a PO. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think I want to invite all salespeople to join in. And there's obviously you can think one way, but it's really about other things like wedding dresses being flown from one country to the other, like things that are, you know, but the biggest challenge, and that goes along with being taken seriously. So I guess as a woman and younger, when I started, of course, I found myself that I had very good relationships and people generally, I want to say, like me. I don't have any big grudges with anybody. But from that to translate that in an opportunity to bid and contract work has been a huge challenge, especially in the United States. It has been like, how do you translate good relationship and the fact that people take a meeting with you and they like your company to, okay, now I'm going to give you a chance to show what you can do. So that has been obviously a big one. And I think what every woman has a challenge with it's I don't want to be invited to the table because I'm a woman. I want to be invited because I'm good at what I do and my perspective can bring value. So that's also even now you get offer opportunities and it's challenging to say no, because it's for the first time you're hearing about this is I want to join. But then you have to be strategic into why am I being invited? What's the ultimate purpose of this? So. I would say that and being a small, diverse business also in the United States is challenging because a lot of people are bored with diversity, diversity, but that's like the first layer when you go into digging deeper into what a smaller company has to provide to do work with the big guys in telecom. It's almost impossible when you get presented an MSA. This is something I'm very passionate about also on the Equity and Diversity Committee. It's we need to be aware what we're asking from small contractors and that if we don't change the way this is done, we're never going to reach the goal of being more inclusive in our industry. Leticia, what advice would you give to a young person just starting out in our industry? I would say don't worry too much with checking the boxes and ticking and I have this, I have that. And everybody, it's on such a rush to complete a path that has been established for them. I say, look, how can you be different? What is your superpower? What is that thing that you're really good at? And then build your skills around it. I am always surprised how people don't pay attention to languages, for instance. I'm a big proponent. The more languages you speak, you're going to be in some meeting 
where you are going to be different just because you can speak their language. There are skills that are often overlooked that will make you different. So if you're young and you're starting, don't try to follow linear path. Try to be more strategic about what you bring to the table and how can you be different in an interview, how you can be different in your environment. Because if you're the same as everybody else, how am I going to notice you? I want to see differences. I don't want to see similarities. Which really echoes what you said earlier about personal branding, which I think is so important that you brand yourself personally along with branding your company and who you represent. I think both are equally as important and you've done that beautifully. And along that same line, what's next for you? Let's look at the future and what's next for Neptuno? What's next for Leticia? Well, I've been thinking, I get asked that a lot. And you know, it's that I'm very excited because I think we're entering in a moment in history. It's very different. Everything is transitioning. We've been disrupted. And then the ESG component of things, so environment, social governance, is really now very predominant. And I think companies that don't embrace adapting and implementing ESG criteria are going to struggle very much. And being the dreamer that I am, if you read the 17 development, sustainability developmental goals that are part of that macro footprint or blueprint, rather, this is great because gender equality is only number five. It's one out of 17. And people think it's all about gender equality. No, that's part of a bigger agenda. So I'm a big embracer of that. So personally, I'm becoming an expert as much as I can on ESG matters and also making the company sustainable by design. This is not something I said, it's something a dear friend says of her company. And I admire and I say, I'm still in that. It's great. So I'm really starting to create the offering of Neptuno, even more intentional about ESG, not only the environmental part, but the social governance part. How do we give better options to our workers? That's huge. So workforce is right there on that ESG component, even if people think it's only about the environment. No, it's about making sure your crews are happy. You create an environment that, you know, I'm rejecting work all over the United States because my crews are Florida-based. I want them to be close to their family. That's what brings them a better quality of life, which is one of the sustainable goals. So when we design how we operate around that, I think we're going to be end up in a better place, not only as a company, as a nation, but as a world. Every time I talk to you, Leticia, I just get so inspired. I really do. And I bet your podcast, I know it is, is just incredible. And I wanted to tell the audience where they can find your podcast. So it's called Back to Basics, Back, the number two basics. And can we find it anywhere, everywhere? It streams everywhere. It's back to basics, reconnecting to the essence of you. You can also check my webpage, www.leticialatino.com. And there's everything. There's every aspect of myself. That's something I did a few years back when people said, well, they think of you as towers only. And I'm like, I'm more than towers. I'm not only towers. So I decided to create that webpage where all aspects of myself are there. And the podcast, I just want to chime in that this is something that I knew in my corporate life, I was missing something. I love my job, but I felt that I wanted to do more. And so I created a podcast. I don't monetize the podcast at all, but it has given me an opportunity to speak with the most incredible people 
And you have an open invitation. I've said this before. <laughs> we are over 200 episodes, three years on the air. And so if there's anything out there that you are inspired to do, not because you have a corporate job, it means that you cannot pursue it. So I'm a big proponent of that. So find what makes you tick besides what you're doing right now and make it happen. Leticia, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for having this conversation today. Can't wait to see you again. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.